What's up, guys? Four Corners here. It's your boy, Ray. Uh, alongside me hosting is Peter, Buckinson's 88. How you doing? Doing great. You know, always excited to discuss one of my favorite things in the world, basketball, in uh, the best month for basketball in the world, March. March. I know it's an NBA yeah. podcast, but uh, as I, I hope you guys have been following along, it's been an amazing run by a, a small school in New Jersey called St. Peter's. They've yeah, already slayed so cool. two Giants, and uh, they're going into an Elite Eight matchup today with North Carolina. So by the time everybody hears this, that'll be over. But, man, I'm, I can't wait for the game later. Yeah, it should be good. And, and I don't I don't keep up with college as much, but a story like that, I'm definitely rooting for them. So uh, hopefully they, you know, you just like to see somebody new, like to see a little less, uh, I don't want to say big market bias, <laughs> But you know what I kind of mean? Where well, these, like it's just such a cool story. Their tallest player yeah. is six seven. Yeah, that that's like I think that school I think has thunder... like barely three thousand undergrads. It's like a high school, and they beat Kentucky already, and they beat Purdue. Yeah, I wonder who who's their coach. Do you know Shaheen Holloway? He uh, was a player at Seton Hall. Uh, he was like five ten, good guard in the Big East, but uh, he. Uh, he played overseas for a while and then uh, got back into coaching. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. I'll be. Oh, I'm curious to see what happens to him, like in his future. If maybe, if whether yeah, he wants to like stay he's got a or bright like, future. maybe. Exactly, exactly. Uh, joined alongside us today is our friend Damon. Uh, Damon Abel's on Twitter. How have you been? Good, good, man. I mean, it's Sunday morning as we're uh, having this conversation amongst the three of us, so it's a bright, yes. sunny Sunday morning. Uh, Nuggets wrapped up with a dub last night. Absolutely. And, uh, that's like, those are the weekend vibes that we all hope for, right? So happy to talk basketball, happy to get into it. And yeah, we've had a little bit of NBA March Madness as well, right? Like guys just going out of their minds uh, in the unconscious state, just dropping 50 balls every other night, it seems like. So it's been a great sure. month for basketball, for sure. That is definitely, that's a great point. I think, um, this month in particular seems to have had like an explosion in scoring. I don't know if it's because I think it's maybe a mix of things where there's the foul situation where I don't know why. Uh, and I'm not even talking about the nuggets in particular, but it seems like a lot more fouls are being called this month than say in the beginning of the season where, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a big commitment and a conversation around, Hey, we're going to let players play defense. You know, we're going to let, you know, we're going to let the players play. And uh, that and they lasted. Noticeab- yeah, they noticeably did let them play a little tougher defense, but they didn't finish the sentence. See, what they should have said is we're going to let players play defense for the first two months. And that's, right. that's where they caught us. They all caught us uh, sleeping there. Right. And, and there was a lot of conversations around, I think, certain players not being able to, you know, I think about like, People thinking about James Harden being washed <laughs> in the beginning of the season, where uh, players like that not necessarily being able to find the the fouls that they're looking for, find the comfort and space and, and uh, room to do whatever it is they want to do. I think about Trey Young also a little bit like that. Um, people were talking about him in that context, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how that you know if that can flip back in the playoffs. If you know what I mean, because obviously, like the playoffs, it's usually a context where they do let things go. Um, Peter, do you think like 
do you think this sticks? You know, do you think they're also going to continue this sort of uh, explosion of foul calls in the playoffs? Or do you think it's going to go back more towards the, I don't want to say the mean, the norm? Um, I think that when you get to the playoffs, every single player plays harder in general. So I think that the fouls might be called at about the same rate, but if the guys are playing harder, there's more physicality. So I mm. guess what I'm trying to say is the foul to like contact ratio will be lower. So yeah, I do think that they'll let them play a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to be like a slug fest the way like, you know, it would be in the park or something. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Um, what about you, Damon? Do you, are you, what, do you, let me ask you this. Do you want them to change how they're, they're making these calls in the playoffs? Or do you think that, because I think it's fun to watch guys go for 50. Uh, I think, you know, obviously like sports betting world definitely likes it. And I think for the fans and the experience and the ability to put up highlights and, and that sort of thing, um, it can, there's a perspective that it's good for the league. Um, do you kind of, uh, do you, are you in line with that? Or do you, do you think there's like a negative aspect to it at all? So I guess from my perspective, it breaks down into like how it, how it actually plays out. Right. Like, of course, there's players uh, like if if John Morant is getting into the paint and getting to the line, he's going to be doing some pretty some pretty cool shit to get there, right? He's right. He's exploding into the paint. He's getting contact and finishing through contact. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have um, guys that are like generating contact, uh, kind of in a less less aggressive manner, um, more like they're looking for the contact than they are looking for the bucket that comes through the contact, right? So, right. and then I guess the other side of it to me is that we want the game called fairly, right? But it just can change the pace of the game so much. So I, I think personally, I would like to see a little bit of a decrease in it. Um, you know, I, I like to let the players play as long as the game is being called equally. Right. Like if you're going to let right. both teams be physical, then nobody's going to really complain that both teams are being physical. It's still a fair game. Right. And so like speaking of fairness, I think a lot of fans have a hard time um, feeling like they've gotten a fair shake rightly or wrongly when there's a lot of, you know, maybe or to their perspective, an excess of fouls being called or maybe not called. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like as the number of fouls scales up, like when you start getting more and more trips to the line, there's just more chances for you to find a problem with one of those trips to the line or more than one of those fouls that are being called. So I think it gets noticed less, uh, or complained about less, I should say with an overall lower number of whistles per game. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens and, um, hopefully, you know, I need to reel it, reel it in a little bit, but, um, uh, talking about the Nuggets, so the regular season is almost over. I believe we have seven games left, eight, um, in that range. Uh, Peter, I'll start with you. What are, if you had to pick any single thing you would consider like a success this season for the Nuggets, what would you, uh, what comes to mind? Um. Hmm. I, w- I guess I would say mostly just the fact that they have been able to stick together and 
you know, put themselves in position to make a run. I mean, as unlikely as it might be, they are still, you know, they, they've clinched a play in spot and then they've yeah. got, they still control their own destiny to not having mm-hmm. to be in the play in. So, you know, when you look at the standings, the Nuggets are currently in sixth, uh, two games in the loss column behind the Jazz and Mavericks, one game ahead of the Timberwolves. Uh, they're kind of about where I expected to be in terms of their own record, 44 and 31. Um, the thing record. that's surprised me about the West is the fact that um, I didn't think the Mavericks would be this good this year. Um, and I also didn't think the Grizzlies would be this good. So I thought that the Nuggets would sort of be in that four to five seed range with about mm-hmm. the record they have. It's just that there's been a couple teams in the West that have sort of punched above their weight based on what I expected. And so, I mean, we kind of talked about this last, last podcast, but I, I don't understand where all this like national takes of like the East is better than the West. Like, I don't understand where this is coming from because to me, the West still has plenty of really good teams. Yeah. I, I think it's on some level, uh, it may have been kind of true early in a, in a way where like, the Mavericks, I think, for example, they had this really awkward uh, slow start. And uh, I think Memphis as well has come on really strong late in the season. Uh, and compared to looking over in the East, there were teams like one of my favorite Eastern Conference teams, the Chicago Bulls, which might end up <laughs> in the play-in now. But in the initial phases of the season were honestly one of the best teams in the league. And maybe that's a health thing. Um, and then thinking about the Nets and thinking about uh, the Bucks, who have had, I don't want to say an underwhelming season, but they're clearly kind of uh, pacing themselves in terms of not wanting to go all the way in for a regular season that for them, I don't think matters as much as maybe a younger team that's still looking to prove itself. Um, as far as... For me, um, and, and I think it's I maybe this is the easy answer, but it's got to be Bones. You know, all right. uh, out of all the ups and downs of the season, I think a lot of the Nuggets players have had approximately, you know, played to expectations. Uh, I think Jeff, you know, Will Barton, Monte. I think Monte has been a little bit better than he's grown a little bit in the sense of he's taken on a new role and had to be uh, a bigger part of the offense and a bigger player and take more responsibility for things on the team. But outside of that, I think the one real surprise, the guy who uh, fans are looking at and who uh, I think people are, who just exceeds expectations. It's gotta be bones Highland. Um, It's definitely not, you know, it's, because outside of that, looking at Zeke Naji, obviously Bol Bol's not on the team anymore. Um, I think he's had the most room for growth. And coming from where he has in the beginning of the season with his, uh, you can just look at his statistics early on or looking, looking at his averages compared to right now, he's kind of uh, playing, I think, above and beyond what one might have expected for a rookie at this point. Um, Damon, are you, are you, do you have a, do you kind of agree? Do you feel like, is there another, do you have your own bright spot for this season? Something that's kind of, uh, something you're looking at and, and holding on to? 
Yeah, I mean, my main my main thing is I I think you stole a little bit of the thunder there. I'm I'm super high on bones. It's right? all good. Like I I There's love thunder to go around. I love it. I think that like it, no matter what you look at with this kid, there's so much to like enjoy, whether it's on the court, off the court. Like yeah. his catchphrases are even like exciting. Does it like let's get busy or seeing him like hold his finger up to his ear like he's about he's to power player. slam someone through a table in a 1989 <laughs> WWE like world championship match. Yeah, I think that's a great that's um, a great comparison. Like, but with Bones, I think what surprised me the most and what's been like the bright spot about it is how versatile his game has been beyond what we thought. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. this is a, a, for lack of a better term, like a playground style player, like a street baller. He's got high level handles and he can shoot the ball really well. But like, he's a hooper. Yeah, absolutely. He's a hooper and not a basketball yeah. player. Um, but uh, looking at his ability to read the floor and like, I think somebody mentioned this. Maybe it was on Twitter. I don't know who to give a shout out to. So I'm just going to pretend like it was an original idea. But somebody has mentioned that, like, Jermichael Green plays so much better in the second half of the season since Bones and DeMarcus Cousins have brought in. And, mm -hmm. like, you'll notice several times a game, like, JMG and Bones seem to have this chemistry. Like, he finds him every time he cuts down low. He's looking for him. And it's 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 brought the whole team into the offensive game in a way that I did not expect from you know a rookie who's a shooter, for lack of a better term. So right. I, I think Bones Island has a lot of bright bright spots in his future. I think that he's a kid who's ready for the spotlight. He's uh, excited to be in the NBA. He loves to be in the NBA, and I'm curious to see if he uh, makes the floor in the playoffs. Damon, can I read you some uh, some Bones Highland stats to get you more excited? Oh, always, yes. All right, so I'll give you his regular numbers for the season first, which are pretty pedestrian. So he's at 9.8 points, 2.5 assists, 40% shooting, 37 from three, uh, 84 from the line, and 13.8 PER. That's for the whole season. But then if you go last 10 games, He's up to 23 minutes a game, 51% shooting, 49 from three, uh, 4.3 assists, 15.7 points a game. That's like that's like a really good numbers for 23 minutes a game. I mean, you go per 36 on that, that's like all-star caliber numbers. So to have that kind of guard, you know, with the with a late 20s pick is is pretty exciting. You know, and maybe I'm overextending here, but there was another rookie for the Nuggets a while back who didn't see the floor uh, as much as he probably should have early in his career. And the more availability he got to play basketball, the the more we fell in love with him. And lo and behold, uh, he's the splendid Serbian MVP these days. So, you know, we have this connection, I think, to like seeing guys like, Jokic, Tory Craig, like these types of players that we fall in love with in Denver, right? Where they're punching mm -hmm. above their weight class and they're like all of a sudden playing great and they were slept on so hard. So I think he fits Denver's team personality in that way as well. And, you know, he's just so easy to love. Yeah, I think, but, is he the most charismatic nugget of all? No, well, let me put it this way. Peter, I'll ask you this. Give me your top three most charismatic nuggets. And is Bones on that list? You talking about on the current roster? 
It could be uh, of anyone you could think of. Because there's a guy I, mean, I have in mind who would, would be on that list as well. Well, yeah. To me, it's it's Bones Highland, it's J.R. Smith, it's Allen Iverson, and Nick Van Exel. It's pretty much my okay. List. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair. I, I think that's accurate. I I I think Bones might be number two by the, when all is said and done. I, I, did, I mean, it's hard to be more charismatic than Allen Iverson, right? Um, just in terms <laughs> of the, the the style and impact and uh, in the context that he was in at the time where he brought the league to. Um, but I think just goes to show like how much Bones has uh, been a bright spot for the fans, you know, and, and just putting us on the map to some extent where uh, he's a guy who I could tell my friends about who maybe they're not Nuggets fans who like, hey, come watch this guy. This guy is special and he does this, that and this third thing. Uh, and right. he's so fun to watch and he's so interactive with the crowd and with the community um, that I think it's uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, I think I think no matter what kind of player he turns out to be, because I mean, it's you really can't put a ceiling on a guy who's a rookie. He's already mm-hmm. got that must see quality about him, right? Where it's like early in the season, you might be like, "Oh, Jokic is about to come out of the game." You know, now I can go get a beer, or go to the bathroom. But uh, right. now that's the time when Bones is coming in. How many people right. are like getting really excited now for that portion of the game? It's it's I would say it's on par with like the bull bull hype. Except he plays well. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like apples and oranges, man. For uh, me, yeah. I, uh, I'm a little bit reminded of Birdman, right? Like when Birdman oh, hit the court, yeah. like that's the a great pop one. was huge, and like right. he would flap the wings, and like <laughs> he had his signature celebrations. Like, imagine if that fat guy could rain hellfire from half court, and like basically, you have like the level of hype that Bones Highland is capable of bringing to a team, because like right. There's nothing that gets basketball players, like professional basketball players, more excited than see dudes just like pull it from deep and like hit, hit, hit. Like those guys get hyped up off that. Right. And, and I think even, I mean, players around the league are also recognizing his talent and his sort of uh, more than his talent, I think, is his like emotional uh, stoutness. You know, he is un flinching in the way that he's willing to uh, I think Chris Paul talked about this the other day after our the next game versus the Suns that you know Bones isn't going to back down from anybody uh, and I think that's you know regardless of your talent level I think that's commendable uh, I think th- I think this also Bones could do anything <laughs> Bones could be like not playing basketball and he could if he had like a, a food review show I would watch it you know, I think he's just he's just that kind of guy. Well, he might. <laughs> he might. He might. It's it's possible. Um, so moving on a little bit. So well, uh, Ray, just one last thing real quick. I do want to add sure. one more uh one more positive thing about the season. This didn't necessarily yeah. surprise me, but mm-hmm. I've mentioned this in the past. I'm just really happy that Jokic has validated himself, you know, to the masses because you know, there were still a lot of fakes like, oh, he only won the MVP because so-and-so got hurt. And it's like, he's actually had a better season this year than last year. So whether right. he wins it or not, I don't really want to do a whole MVP discussion today. But hes I think he's proven to everybody that he legitimately is one of the best players in the entire game. 
Right. And he's won over like NBA, not only NBA players, but NBA media, national media yeah. figures, uh, right. ex players. And I think there, there doesn't, I think sometimes you'll see opposing uh, fans who maybe they have their own sort of horse in that MVP race, you know, whether it's Embiid or uh, Devin Booker or whoever they want to have who kind of kind of push into the conversation. Um, but when you talk to Nuggets fans, I don't think you need, there's really a debate. There's really nothing to talk about. Like either you recognize that Jokic is, is who he is or you don't. Um, and I think that's that's it's nice that it's nice to feel validated. Uh, right. I'm sure he doesn't really care, but I think we as fans we care for him in that way. And um, yeah, it's, it's hard just to, nice. It's hard to kind of invalidate his case. And like coming into the season, there was the whole fraud MVP talk, right? Like it was everywhere mm-hmm. on Twitter, and it kind of shoots that argument right in the foot when he's right there in contention for his second one the very next year playing at a higher level. So right. he I literally agree. has the highest PER of all time this season right now. All time. All, <laughs> all time. time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, I agree. I don't want to rehash the MVP discussion, but like it's not consistency at this point. He's getting better every year. So it's it's amazing to have that level of talent in Denver. Uh, it hasn't happened since Melo and he's, probably a, a clear and concise you know step above mellow overall talent wise so it's just oh, yeah. it's amazing for the city and the team yeah i love mellow uh fellow marylander but yeah it, it's pretty clear um the other thing i actually wanted to add is demarcus cousins i think the demarcus cousins signing was like yeah one of my favorite pickups this year and i think that's worked out really well both in terms of just having a backup center it's something i've wanted uh, if you've been watching, if you listen to the show, I've wanted it for a long time. And I was a little bit disappointed going into it that we didn't have one. Uh, but not only do we have one, but we have a guy who Malone, most importantly, uh, cares about, is willing to play and trusts. And, and, and he plays in a way that I think, um, you know, fits very well with what the Nuggets like to do. You know, when Jokic is out, if we had a third center, <laughs> I feel like we could sit Jokic and it not be uh, maybe next season. This might be a thing if he stays uh, where you could give Jokic a night off and Boogie could work with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter in a similar way that Jokic could. But you know, it's like a maybe it's like a B minus Jokic, but that's still pretty good. Um, Can I give one small complaint? I actually. Sure. I actually don't think that the bench plays enough through DeMarcus. I feel like he's got the matchup like 99% of the time. And yeah. a lot of the possessions end up with him taking open three with like five seconds on the shot clock. And whether mm-hmm. or not that shot goes in, like he's capable. He's not knocked down, but he's not bad. When he he's hits those, when he hits those, the bench has a great stint, right? When he doesn't hit right. those, it's a mixed bag. I would really like to see them like, try to get him the ball a little bit more because we've seen he's so effective at drawing fouls if he isn't able to just get an easy basket. Hmm. It's kind of a similar thing to Jokic where it's like, hey, can you get him the ball? And it's <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you can. Yeah, he's um, one of those guys where he's such a force inside, right? Like, yes, he has footwork. Yes, he has finesse and he has a great post game. He's a great player. But like what what's overwhelming about DeMarcus Cousins is He's a physical player and he knows how big and strong he is. And like, 
if he gets a small man on him, he is going to bully him. And I don't mean that in a basketball right. sense. Like you watch DeMarcus Cousins face. Like he gets a pleasure out of being like, you put a small fry on me and now I'm going to throw 300 pounds of muscle into his chest repeatedly. Right. He, even like, right. he doesn't players. feel bad about it. <laughs> no, yeah. not one bit. He's like, well, bro, this is the NBA. Welcome to it. And you know, when he dunked on like, exact play like this, was it Poku that he like absolutely he treated him like your little brother backing him down and you're like i don't have to play basketball i just have to get close enough to the rim <laughs> like, yeah, yeah right uh, i'm actually surprised like at how unselfish he is i knew he was a good passer but mm-hmm. i actually feel like he's more cerebral like more of a team player than i expected i thought he was gonna have more tunnel vision yeah uh, i mean sometimes he um he can take matchups personally like I think about the uh, the game against the Clippers the other night with uh, Isaiah Hardenstein, I feel like he really made it a point to to look at him and say, "Look, who are you? <laughs> you know, you're not you're not much to me." So, and, but sometimes I think that's good. You know, I think he on his best days is balancing that sort of like understanding that he is better than the player next to him or across from him um, with being a distributor and finding guys the right looks is he's also made some, he's made some, uh, you know, I don't want to say yogurt level passes, but some sweet like highlight plays uh, of just whip passes across the court and uh, finding guys open. So um, there are a lot of, and there are a lot of big men in the NBA who just don't either have the IQ to uh, be a passer like that. I think, I mean, Joel Embiid is great for example, but I don't think he handles double teams nearly as well. I think he's gotten better at it, but it wasn't something that came, comes as naturally to him as it does as Boogie. Uh, and at the same time, some players who do have the sort of cerebral understanding of the game maybe don't necessarily have the talent or the skill or the gravity even. I think about Mason Plumley as a guy who I think was also maybe an elite passer in the league uh, in terms of big men. But because he wasn't necessarily a floor spacer, teams were able to sort of mitigate his passing ability by just playing off of him. Um, so I'm I'm really happy with Bogey. I, I hope I hope he stays. Please stay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's likely in the same. It's likely in the sense that you know he's a Malone guy. Uh, that we have a role for him. He's going to get consistent minutes, and um, he will probably. I th- I can't imagine a place where he would play more, where he would have more trust where he would have more opportunity than Denver. So uh, I hope he stays. That, that's, that's, that's my soapbox. Uh, I, hmm. Do we Can have any you, other? Um, yeah. Sure. I, so I, so looking back now that he's been here almost a full year, how would you mm-hmm. evaluate Aaron Gordon's season? I think it's been excellent in the sense that he has been asked to do way more than he should. Um, okay. like even just in the sense that he's playing small, he's playing small forward right now, which I don't think is really his natural position. Uh, is I think he? he's, yeah. Oh, if Jeff's guarding like, the power forward. Okay. Jeff, right. Jeff's playing, Jeff is playing like too much lesser, <laughs> lesser forward. I don't want to say power forward. Cause it's not like he's like rebounding. That, right. That's, <laughs> that's more, it's more to my point. He's playing like one in. Board, he's playing like small forward on offense and power forward on he's doing a lot he's rebounding he's defending opposing teams best players i don't love the way he's been used 
all the time uh, defensively. Where Are you worried about him wearing down? I think he's already worn down. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, but I feel like – so I'm – But you're happy know, overall. Yeah, I'm happy overall. I just wish we wouldn't put him on, like, really small players. And right. And Make him running him. around all over the place. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't, it's not the best use of his skills. Mm. And I think it makes it easier for opposing teams to actually break down our defense where he's getting, you know, he's having to go over on these screens and now he's kind of out of the play um, in the help side where now Jeff is the help side guy or Will Barton is the help side guy or Monte is the help side guy uh, or, or it's Jokic and Jokic can only do, he's been great also, I think. You know, in terms of defense, he's gotten a lot better, but he, you know, he's got limited energy and limited number of fouls and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it affects our rebounding where we give up a lot of, I think, offensive rebounds, I think in part because we, you know, Aaron Gordon is 30 feet from the basket guarding the opposing team's, you know, best guard. But that's just me. Um, I think I'm that. Happy with him. I think that a lot of what he's been asked to do offensively plays into that as well, right? Like we've seen him looking to shoot in the mid range, looking to, you know, make plays off the dribble um, a lot heavier this year after a full year of Jamal Murray being out um, where he's bumped up probably two, even three spots in terms of like where he ranks as far as our offensive options goes. I think the bright side of that is that we've seen him hit more of those mid-range shots. He's uh, gotten, he's shown a little bit more of his game here in Denver as far as taking two dribbles and pulling a turnaround uh, fadeaway jumper in the lane. That is typically a decent shot, you know, whereas from other guys, it might be a terrible shot. But the downside of that is those possessions, like, take a lot of energy out of them. And continuously being that asked to be that guy it limits it limits what you can ask of him on the other side of the floor, and you know, but as we do, yeah, yeah, it just ties back into that, you know, the the what's been to the story of the season to me, which is you know, we're gonna play the best basketball we can with the guys that are on the floor, and I think in agreeing with you, I think Aaron Gordon has been exceptional and what we can realistically expect from him, and the role that he's been given for the year. And Peter, like maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about this. I think he also just has like great chemistry with Jokic, and I think that's been like a big thing as far as um, just you know what what bodes well for the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I like his attitude because I, I think that he understands that Jokic can make any pass. So whenever he gets the ball at the high post, as long as he cuts or is already in the dunker spot, like he's gonna find him if he's open. So right. I think he those guys have built good chemistry and he's got good timing. Um because it it does seem to me like Gordon doesn't really look for threes early in the shot clock, which is good. It seems like when he takes threes, it's either like when we're playing a lesser opponent or he's tired, so he's settling. But I think he understands mm-hmm. that like threes are more of a luxury. He shouldn't be looking to shoot like five threes a game. So right. I'm really hoping that we can win enough games to get the six seed, avoid the play in give him a week off. And I think I'm really looking forward to that first playoff game because I think you're really going to see like an energized and a focused Jeff Green, Will Barton and Aaron Gordon. That's an interesting 
I wouldn't mind touching on that is like, uh, Damien, maybe you can talk about this. What has been uh, your sense of basically like the other guys uh, in our starting lineup between like Monte, Jeff, and Will? Uh, are you... I mean, are you pleased with how they played, or or do you? Feel, I mean, I can't because it's hard. Obviously, they're in the situation they're in, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily fair to say that they should be as good as Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and having the whole unit together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you do have to, you know, judge them on where they're at and not where you wish they were, right? Like. I I obviously wish that our starting lineup was our true starting lineup and we didn't have two to three guys in there that are maybe square pegs in round holes at times. But Mm -hmm. I think if you take the 30,000 foot view, like if you zoom out and you look at where we are realistically health-wise, roster-wise, and then you look at what, I mean, I'll phrase it this way, what Jokic has been able to do with those guys, um, they've been a consistently good lineup together in the in the the upper echelons of this league. I know that at one point they were hovering around like top one to three um, as far as efficiency as a five-man lineup, and that shocks me. So I think that we've seen leaps from Monte specifically um, that has helped out in that area. I think that Jeff Green has the experience to know, like, what's asked of him on a certain night and when he needs to like uh shoot the ball more or get yeah get get into the lane and get uh get whistles called Mm -hmm. you know so i think overall i'm happy with what those guys have been able to do um i'm not a barton hater but by any means but i think that will barton has been kind of like the lower stop right like he's On the season, he's been average, but I think that out of those guys in the situation that they're in right now, he may be performing like near the bottom of the heap. But I'm really excited, like Peter just said, to see we've not seen Will Barton healthy in the playoffs ever, ever. Uh, so, yeah, there's no sense. It's like it's the first time. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, when he came back against Phoenix last year, he made a noticeable impact on the games. So he obviously wants to play in the playoffs. He obviously wants his body to be there. So let's let's finish the season out strong, get the man some rest, and see if he can uh, terrorize some other teams come the first round. So, Ray, I want to I want to talk about your question about the others. Uh, when you look back to the beginning of the season, remember that starting lineup was excellent, one of the best in the NBA. The problem was how bad our bench was, right? So right. I don't remember the number of game or the exact date, but I really think you have to break up this nugget season into two portions. You have to break it up into when Faku was in the rotation and from when Faku got benched. Because I think, you know, in the last month, the starters have looked worse because they've been tired and they've been worn down. But luckily mm-hmm. the bench has been able to pick up the slack because, you know, as I read the numbers with Bones Highland earlier, the bench has gotten a lot better simply by replacing um Faku with Bones, um, you know, and Bones just needed more time. He needed reps. He's a rookie. So okay. I think that can um, sort of transition us a little bit into our next segment, which is, you know, Michael Malone. He just got an extension. Um, you know, he, he's he been so loyal to all of his players. He was super loyal to Faku. 
And he finally made the hard decision of, you know, what this, this guy just isn't cutting it right now. You know, he we benched his son. He tries he hard. Benched his son. You know, you, you can't knock his hustle, you know, no pun intended, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it just, at the, at the end of the day, you're paid to win basketball games. Right. So you got to make the hard decisions. Right. Right. And, and think about the future of like, who, who is really going to be, who are your guys going forward? It's hard to imagine. Uh, I don't dislike Faku. You know, I think uh, the the discourse around him has been pretty caustic. Rough. Yeah, this this season, both in terms of, I, I feel like there's two camps. Not not that everyone is uh, this polar, but there are there there's the argument that Faku has never done anything wrong in his life ever, and that we we all need to just leave him alone. <laughs> um, or that Faku is the reason that the Nuggets have lost every game that he's ever played in. Uh, and I think it's it's hard because he is you can see the value in, in what he what his effort and energy and heart and all that good stuff. Um, but also look at the lack of spacing and uh in that maybe in another context he might be better. You know teams figured him out, right? Right. Uh, Maybe I still like him as a third string point guard. You know, if if you just need to give the guy, if you just need someone to like fill time and be consistent and be reliable and not make dumb decisions. Like I I believe him in that sense. Good Uh, IQ. Right. And if he had shooters and are like a sort of, I I don't think DeMarcus Cousins is a great Faku pairing with, in the sense of, I because he's not a lob threat. Right, exactly. And the same with, I mean, not that Jokic can play with anyone, but on the same level, Jokic not being a lot like an, an explicit lob threat makes his life a lot harder than, say, if he was um, paired with JaVale McGee, for example. So, fair. Uh, I think for me on the Faku discourse, like I agree with everything you just said, but the one thing that stands out to me as like then versus now, like last year there was a stretch where he was hitting three pointers, right? There was a stretch where his three point shot was falling at least a decent rate. And when that went away, it, it drastically changes how the NBA approaches him as a player. And if you don't have to guard him on the three point line, it's damaging. So I love then you don't have to guard him at all. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I love Faku for lots of reasons, but I'm glad that we got Malone a new son and DeMarcus Cousins to put that faith into, right? His his first son. I don't remember who said this in a chat, but they're like, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy in the NBA who's a zero-level scorer. Like, Faku doesn't have a floater. He doesn't have, like, a mid-range shot, and he can't finish at the rim. Right. I think that's the thing is, like, uh, if he can't – because he, I think he shoots, like, 35%. Yeah. from three and that's bad it's enough to Those justify all shooting open, threes or grenades, pretty much though. yeah or grenades um it's that you know if he did have a, a just another way to score like if you could put him in the dunker and he could make like an eight foot floater when he they've gets a dump that. off they've tried i have no i i had this thought earlier that they they should try it, be him being not a, a floor spacer sometimes, but it, it's uh, it's unfortunate that 
that uh, is not necessarily a thing he's been able to manage. Maybe if he came into the league younger, he might be have, have been able to adjust a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I still wish him the best. I hope he, you know, finds happiness wherever he wants to be, whether that's in the NBA or, or overseas or, or what, what have you. Um, let's, let's take a break. We'll be right. Okay. We'll be right back. And then, uh, we'll talk about Malone's extension, uh, and we'll, uh, close out on, on a, on a few other, other topics. And we are back. So uh, Malone has an extension. It is multiple years. I don't know what that means. It could be two. It could be seven. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it could. We don't know the dollar amount yet. Not and, five. But not six. Not seven. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I, I'm pretty. So uh, I'll start off with this. I'm glad. I'm glad we did it. I know and maybe it's a little bit of a weird time, but, um, you know, I, I hope he feels a little bit more comfortable in his position now. You know, I, I feel like Malone, um, he's been in the league for a while and he's been the Nuggets coach for a relatively long while. Um, and I feel like with this amount of continuity and stability, can he, Peter, I'll ask you this. Do you feel like it's going to change how he coaches? Not very much. Um, I think that as fans, we've had multiple different criticisms of him over the years. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I kind of feel like you feel like he's been kind of short-sighted this season in his coaching. Um, I don't know how much of that is him and how much of that is the front office wanting to go for it with Jokic here. I'm sure, I'm sure it's all, you know, collaborated together, but, but I do think that now the pressure is off at least, right? Like he can make decisions and not have to look over his shoulder. So I don't know if not having an extension yet played a factor in him, like trying to win every game the way he's kind of been coaching. But because it sounds to me like you kind of wish that he would have gotten this earlier so that he could like relax a little more. Yeah, uh, I think um, there's so um, I, I'd like to see him just when you say relax, uh, some specific things I think about is uh, playing. I mean, he's played Bones an adequate amount where I feel like that's that's been fine. He's played him enough in the right ways uh i think more about resting guys as something that he's really avoided doing in general uh since he's been here you know as a whole uh and it's something if if i had to have um a lesson that that might be learned from this season that i hope uh the nuggets organization can take away it's that rest is valuable and the idea that you can go night in and night out every single game for 82 games a year and play all, every guy for uh, a full workload and not expect to see any diminishing returns. It's kind of unreasonable. 
Um, and I would hope that Malone having that security, he's a little bit more willing to say, I'm willing to maybe lose this game, but maybe give a younger player or somebody else an opportunity and rest a guy uh, on a back-to-back on or, or on a game that, you know, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because every game matters, right? Versus a team like the Wizards, you know, can you rest a Will Barton or can you rest a Jeff Green? Or or if we do get to a point where we have enough enough depth at center, can you rest Jokic uh, on a night like that where so that, you know, 40 games, maybe Jokic isn't tired in game 30, but maybe 40 games later, when you do, if you do give him that rest, maybe he's not as uh, worn out as he is now. Um, and obviously part of that's up to him. But uh, so maybe he would just play through it. But I think some other players on the team, Jeff Green, Will Barton, come to mind, especially, uh, I think could use that rest. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, just to play slight devil's advocate for a sec, the way the NBA is set up, there's mm-hmm. been some games that Jokic and Barton have missed this year, but they're never going to be fully transparent with us because they have to tell us, like, it's an injury. But if unless we saw, like, a for sure play where they got injured, we just kind of have to take their word for it. Cause I don't know right. if you guys remember, but there was that stretch where Barton missed like three out of four games or something. So he definitely mm-hmm. looked better when he came back from that. So I don't know how much of that was I'm injured and how much was like, this guy needs a break. I think it was kind of after he, he hit like a split almost. Maybe I, I don't that, remember him specifically going down on any plays, but. For me, when it comes to the conversation, like an ad that relates to Malone as a coach, I think that there's two things that make it really interesting that jump out to me. Number one is that we've heard Malone talk about his time in San, uh, Sacramento several times, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, that's the type of, like, we've all had terrible bosses. We've all been in bad work situations. And you carry that with you into your next job. Like, you can't help it. You almost right. have that PTSD about it. And that's something Malone clearly yeah. cares about. He wants to have that trust of the front office and the organization. And I think that does play at times into his decision-making. And then the other part about it that interests me is that he's like, first and foremost, a pop disciple, right? So it's very interesting mm-hmm. to see me, for me, to see him not to be more hesitant to rest players when that's like such a, a Popovich thing, right? Like, right. Popovich is so quick to say like, my guy, he was the first one that I can remember um, during my time watching the NBA. That's like, no, our guys aren't even getting on the plane. Like they're not going, <laughs> it's not happening. And he didn't care about the, the outcome. So I think the repercussions. Yeah. 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 I think that a big part of it happens to be that like, Malone has been fired when he didn't deserve to be fired, right? So now he's like, well, for lack of a better term, shit. Like, do I do I trust my coaching instincts and make the calls that I think are right basketball-wise, or do I do the thing that I think is going to keep me employed in this league? Mm-hmm. And it could be tough is, to be in that decision. He's also a coach's son. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that that is also has some, like, you know, he, I'm sure he talks with his father and, and takes some things away from that experience as well in terms of how uh, fickle basketball can be when it comes to um, loyalty to coaches. 
because uh, oftentimes you can change. Uh, it's easy to change players when they're not making a lot of money, but when you're talking about you know players you've committed to for a number of years and for a certain number of dollars, um, sometimes changing the coach is just like the easiest thing. So I, I definitely understand where he comes from. And I want to give him credit. So the best thing I think he's done this year is, Damon, you touched on this earlier, how Jermichael Green has kind of had like a tale of two seasons and that his play really picked up once Bones started getting consistent minutes. Mm-hmm. Michael Malone stuck with Jermichael Green. He was horrible at the beginning of the season. And if we're being honest, not every coach would have stuck with him, right? He would have mm-hmm. gotten benched. He never got benched. He pulled him aside. He said, hey, we believe in you. We trust you. You're a part of this team. And it paid off. So as as frustrated as we get with Moan sometimes on, you know, how he loves certain players, this is a situation where Malone was right. And we got to we got to eat that one as fans. And, you know, I think he's going to be an important piece of this team uh, for the playoffs and maybe even in the future. I think there hmm. are very few like true players coaches in the league, right? Like how many coaches do guys really like ride for? Do you guys really want to succeed for their coach? Like it's a professional environment. It's not like a high school environment where like your coach is playing an almost like familial role. Like they're in there almost as like a third parent or something like yeah. that. And I agree. Like there was that moment in the season. It was actually got a good bit of publicity when, uh, Malone pulled Jermichael Green aside and told him that. And there was like almost immediate, almost immediate response in uh, Jermichael Green's play. Like he came out, I think the very next game and had a good game, if I'm remembering correctly. So I think so. Like the defensive player of the game chain, the the talking bones up, uh, the the going to bat and saying like, as much as it annoys me as a fan, like there's something to be said for a guy that's like going to go out there and say, stop putting pressure on MPJ and Jamal, like they'll be back when they're ready. I trust them. And -hmm. I think that's a valuable part of him in our organization that gets overlooked when he makes those bad decisions. People tend to forget, like he trusts the players for better or for worse. And there are a lot of times like watching your team come back two, three, one playoff series. That's like, okay, this is a team that is playing for each other. And we've heard that said so many times that we kind of forget how important that is. For sure. And he's he's very human in how he 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 loves his guys and he gets frustrated sometimes. But I feel like his call outs are, are very strategic because when he gets mad at his team, you can really get the sense that like the team is upset that they let him down instead of like, oh, man, this guy is just an, an a-hole who's always like getting on us because that's not the case. Like he he pumps them up when they do well and he's honest and he's like, hey, you guys didn't bring it tonight. So I think they respect the honesty that he gives them back and forth. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like he's great with relationships. You know, that's that's probably his biggest strength is that like uh, kind of to the earlier point you made about keeping the locker room together is that he is really adept at uh, keeping the loyalty of his players and, and knowing how to like keep them engaged. Um, slight sidebar uh, to the question of him sticking with Jamichael Green. So Peter, I'll, I'll, or actually Damon, I'll ask you this. What do you think that the implication of Jamichael Green's resurgence is for Zeke Naji? Uh, as someone who's I kind think of... it makes it super tough. Yeah. It's, it's it's a weird position. And it's uh, like the other side of this is 
Zeke Naji's knees, right? Like he's obviously <laughs> been put in a, a position where, you know, even if he was uh, the better fit on the floor at the time, can he get on the floor? Can he stay on the floor? Can I make a comparison? Uh, an oh. NBA comparison? Oh, don't uh, For Zeke Naji? Yeah, let's hear it. I, I think I might have an idea where this is going, but let her rip. It's, it's Darrell Arthur. You've said this before. I don't agree. It's slowly <laughs> becoming more true. He's got the knee problems. So I I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm I'm I worry, right? Obviously, like as a fan, like if you have a guy that you like, and I legitimately like Zeke. I think that there's so many I like Darrell Arthur. Darrell Arthur was good. Yeah, there's so many like unique things about his game. Like when you have a, a stretch power forward that looks promising on a defense that is athletic and can shoot, you're like, he's got it all. Give him the keys to the kingdom, right? But um, mm-hmm. I think when looking back at the original question, like Jamichael versus Zeke and what the implications are there, we just talked about Malone and like his his trust of the players and like the opposite side of that coin is he does give trust to the players but he makes them earn it right like even when Faku wasn't the greatest fit like we touched on earlier he made Bones earn those minutes from Faku and Bones did that to his credit and I think that next year like if Jamichael Green stays with the team and doesn't like have any trade I know he has the no trade clause but if he's on this team all season next year Zeke's going to have to take those minutes from him. That's just the way Malone coaches his basketball team. That's a great point. I, I love that. I, I think you're spot on. And if I was betting man, which I guess I am, uh, I think that's going to happen. I just, I love Zeke. I think he's talented. You know, if you're comparing those two guys' careers, Jamaica Green, four-year college player, undrafted, took a while to sort of get going and then has – over time made himself into a nice role player. Zeke Naji, one and done first round pick, you know, he'd be a junior at Arizona right now. Uh, so I think that he's clearly got a higher pedigree. He's got to prove it. Malone's going to make him prove it, but I also think he's going to give him a chance to prove it. So I think this year it's pretty much done. I, I don't see him being in the playoff rotation because Jamichael's rolling and, you know, it's just going to be hard for him to regain his rhythm at this point. But I do still think he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward. Hmm. He has time. Um, I, I do worry sometimes about players like not really getting uh, an opportunity until it's too late. Like uh, where players will have like one maybe good year. That's right before they have to sign an extension, and you don't really know what to do with a guy like that. But um, next year is going to be big for him. Uh, I mean, I do hope that he. it would be great if he does kind of take over that role. Um, I think there was a stretch where you started to see him get on the floor towards the middle of the year a little bit more. And uh, he had that stretch of like three to five games where he was playing very well. I think his knee injuries have obviously thrown a wrench into the gears of those plans. But I'm really excited to see with the new look bench, right? Like we... Mm -hmm saw some flashes when Bones wasn't getting on the floor very often and they would get the garbage time minutes. There was some chemistry there. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I, I really do think that Bones and Zeke have a bit of the similar type of connection that Bones and Jamichael have. And I think that seeing Zeke not asked to play too big 
Um, just like Jermichael Green was being asked to play too big earlier in the year. Put him next to DeMarcus Cousins, Bones Highland, and we might see some fireworks next year off the bench with those three guys uh, spacing the floor out and giving uh, DeMarcus room to really, you know, just drive straight through guys' chests and kick out for open shooters. Yeah, I'm excited for the bench next year if we bring everybody back. We should be back. We might be back to, like, having a good bench, and I think that would be a lot of fun. Knock on wood. Um, can I uh, – so one more thing I wanted to ask. Uh, Peter, do you feel like the – so uh, I'm talking specifically about the clarity around the Nuggets' injuries this year. Do you feel like the lack thereof, like how tight-lipped Denver has been about um, – who is coming back and when has a negative impact on the maybe the, I don't know if it's the morale of the team. You, you, do you think it was like the right thing to do? Because I, I have I feel some conflicting thoughts about it in the sense of um, I do think it creates ambiguity and speculation to not know where a guy you know is he coming back? Is he not? I think lots of I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks a lot of uh, speculation as far as people saying anything, <laughs> like literally anything they want, seemingly, uh, whether it's oh they're looking at the, they're looking great or they're never coming back or uh, anywhere in between, uh, and I wonder if that weighs on the players in a way of um, they've been grinding so hard, kind of anticipating having those having them come back and the expectations have kind of been you know if we have jamal murray and michael porter you know things would be different and when we have jamal murray jamal murray <laughs> jamal murray and michael porter things will be different uh and if we if I, it's it's hard because they could be back tomorrow and then i'd be like okay well cool let's let's do it uh or they can never come back not never, but not come back this season. And I, I wonder if that hurts just just the vibes, basically. I think that um I think they've been as honest as they've hoped to be. I mean, I really do think that they hoped they could be back this year. And I just don't mm -hmm. think they want to shut the door completely because as you guys know, in sports or with a lot of things in life, when there's not hope, that kind of kills morale. So I just right. don't think they wanted to shut the door publicly or with the teammates because if you have this idea that Jamal Murray might be coming back, then it gives you an extra oomph, right? A little bit more motivation. Yeah, I can see that. And almost like an excuse of like, hey, if we just lost to a really good team like the mm. Phoenix Suns by 10 points, you know, maybe this outcome could be different, you know. So that too. There have been a lot of excuses made. It's it's kind of a strange topic because it has sort of been the cloud over the whole season. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think the Nuggets have for the most part handled it pretty well, whereas some other teams may have not reacted as well in this situation. Yeah, I think that there was that game um, 
who remind me, I know that uh, you and I actually chatted about this, Peter. We played, it was a game last week and it came like right after some new, new news in the Jamal Murray scene. And it was a lot more negative. And it kind of did feel like the team had that like, ugh, moment, right? Where they were like, they did kind of realize like, okay, maybe, maybe the saviors aren't coming over on the hill with the cavalry to, you know, clean up the rest of this mess of a season um, and bring us to the promised land. Mm -hmm. But I, I think on the other side of that is like, yeah, we got the 10 point loss to, to Phoenix, but there was fight all through that game. Like the, the team, like complete polar opposite of the game where they look like deflated, like, you know, against the Celtics. The, yeah. Yeah. The Celtics. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. the game. And they look deflated. They look like defeated. Like what's the point? And then they come out against Phoenix and they are fired up and ready to go. I don't, it's so hard to say because like sports teams are nebulous, right? They're always changing. Uh, coaching is changing. Players are changing, but like, it's almost like that's a continuing theme over my entire history as a Nuggets fandom, like play up for the big games. And then, you know, Boston Celtics, oh, they're good, but like, we don't have to play them in the playoffs. Like they're not going to be in our seeding bracket. Like, and you drop the game. There's hmm. so I think there well, is a little bit of a motivational issue, but you know, I think and, that they're doing the best they can right now. And Ray, I, I can't go too much into the minds of what the Nuggets players are actually thinking. I mean, if you're a pro athlete, you already got pretty high confidence, but I kind of mm -hmm. feel like the Suns game at least proved to themselves that like they can hang right with some of the best teams so i'm still confident yeah. that like going into the playoffs this team still knows they're dangerous they still know that they can give whoever they play in the first round a run for their money give them their best shot you know give them their best punch yeah no i think that's still true um uh, uh what i would hope to see uh, so we mentioned earlier that the prospect of them returning is kind of a morale boost I wonder if if there's an alternate scenario where maybe you say at the beginning of the season, hey, they're probably not coming back this year. And maybe that's a morale drawback in the in the early part of the season, but it kind of you kind of avoid this the sort of speculation that's happening right now and that ambiguity and maybe you're taking a smaller hit earlier to not take a bigger hit later. Well, if you remember, they sense. did say MPJ was out for the season. That changed. I don't know it's if it was his agent future, or I think. Yeah, I mean, Shams tweeted he was out for the year, so I know that That's Adam has pointed out that he's not like the go-to guy for Nuggets source, but. And I think Jokic is going as as however he's gotten to this is at a point where he is assuming they're not until they do. Right. So yeah. that's how I am too. And I think I just, yeah, hundred percent. So I have these like three three kind of like lessons uh, that I take away from this year. And then maybe we can wrap up on, on some feedback if you, what you guys think of these. Uh, number one for me is rest your guys. You know, rest is good. Uh, we talked a couple episodes. Getting sleep is good. Getting rest is good. <laughs> you don't want to, you know, take care of your body. Uh, number two, size matters. It's good to have a backup center. And, and and that 
has a lot of impacts on the game in way, even if it's not a flashy pick, it's not fun to be like, oh, we need it's not a fun thing to speculate, you know, in free agency. Who's the best backup center we can get? Um, but I think that has an impact. And number three, I think clarity matters. Um, one thing I'd like to see more from them in the future is for them to look at this experience and maybe um be willing to uh, to have a little bit more openness with how they they treat uh injuries and, and where they feel like they are as a team uh without Do they owe us that though? No, I mean no, they don't. But I think it would be helpful, beneficial in, in their sure. pursuit. In their pursuit <laughs> for like the goal is to win championships. I think if you want to win more championships, you're better off. That's just me. Maybe it's just my opinion. Um, but you're better off having a little bit like being clear and open and honest about things like that when you can, to the extent that you can. You you being the royal you, not you, Peter. But um that's just me. Those are my lessons. Those are my takeaways from uh, this season. I mean, I just think they don't know. Like, I think I personally am not much of a risk taker. So if you told me, like, it's not guaranteed Jamal Murray's healthy when he comes back and you just mm-hmm. want to sit him out and he, you know, put all the chips towards next year, I'm cool with that. Like, mm-hmm. I'd rather right. have him be healthy for the long haul than try to go for it this year. And then you have Brandon Roy coming back a week after knee surgery for a playoff series. That's like, if you win it, so what you're going to lose in the next round. And now his career is over. Like not saying Jamal Murray is going to have the same career Brandon Roy did, but I thought that was like one of the most short-sighted things I've ever seen. So right. if Jamal's not right, don't bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's getting late. It's getting pretty late. So to be bringing somebody back. And I think as far as the clarity piece too, um, like just to take a peek beyond like the the injury discussion and like the the macro sense future of the team. Like clarity, like I agree with you completely, Ray. And I think clarity plays into a couple different ways for a basketball team, right? Like midseason, is Jermichael Green playing backup center? Is Jermichael Green playing backup power forward? Is Faku our backup point guard? Is Bones Bones Highland a backup point guard or a backup shooting guard? Like there's so many of these this or that's that like at this point in the season, we look back on and we go, well, I think we know the answer. We've gotten enough information. But as those things got resolved, there were positive uh, gains for the team. Like the bench got better. Right. The, uh, the, the overall play got better. We went on a great run when we kind of found more of our identity as a team yeah. and had that, that clarity on who are we as a basketball team? What is your role and how does it fit into the whole? So yeah, I, I, I agree a, completely. And I think it's a, a very deep issue. Like not. Yeah. It's hard to yeah, get no, into. I, I see what you're saying. I think that's a great point. It's like clarity of roles is also, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about that explicitly in this, in this one instance, but I read that like knowing your ex understanding your expectations uh, can make, just make things a lot easier with mm-hmm. so you don't there's there's not so much of uh denver's had a lot of denver has a lot of guys denver has a lot of guys that can play similar or multiple positions mm-hmm. and some in in similar or multiple roles and, and i think that um 
I think a lot, yeah, a lot of why the bench is better is like everyone kind of has a role. You know, Jermichael mm-hmm. Green, uh, I think specifically, like he knows what he needs to do. He knows his job. And then he just has to focus on that. You know, he doesn't have to focus on things that aren't in his wheelhouse. Uh, and the same is kind of true for like Brent Forbes, for Austin Rivers, for uh, Bones when he's playing, for um, even, I think, I think even Jeff to some extent, like he knows what's expected of him and what's not. Um, even if we wish more could be expected of him, but uh, yeah. Did you, before we wrap up, did you guys want to add anything, uh, any closing thoughts, final questions? I mean, I guess my closing thoughts and when I'm kind of the, in the, the theme of looking back on the season and kind of looking at Malone and where do we go from here is that like there was a point in the season where I think a a good chunk of Nuggets fans kind of maybe didn't count this year as a complete wash, but you're like, I've, I've mentioned this before to you, Ray, and to you, Peter, like you're playing with house money, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that looking at this year, we still do have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. But what's really exciting for this team is seeing those little things start to click and knowing that when we get back on the main path, like looking at next year, like it's almost like the league is going to, like from my opinion, I think the league's going to be put on notice. Like if you have a healthy Jamal Murray, a healthy Michael Porter Jr., You've added a backup center that maybe stays around into Marcus Cousins. You've added a shooter in Bryn Forbes, and then Bones Highland takes a step. And all of a sudden, you're one of the deepest teams in the league, not just one of the most top-heavy teams in the league. So I that's where my mind's at, is looking towards the next season and just understanding that there's so much upside for this team to uh, you know, not be depressed moving into the playoffs as a six seed or a seven seed, possibly that. Yeah. Peter next year yeah. is the year. Yes, for sure. I, I agree with that. I'm also optimistic. I think that this season has proven to me that we, for the most part, do have the pieces in place. I mean, you got Jokic is definitely good enough to be the best guy on a championship team. I mm-hmm. think Aaron Gordon is definitely good enough to be the fourth guy. And Will Barton is good enough to be the fifth guy. Um, the big question is going to be the health of Jamal and MPJ, you know, get those guys healthy. And then the other big question to me is, do they do anything in the offseason to address the perimeter defense? To me, that's the weakest point on the team. Um, obviously when Jamal's back, it makes you a little bit bigger. Uh, if you guys remember the, the two week stretch last year when they were healthy, those, they were, they switched a lot more. So that mm. made it harder for teams. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think next season, if, if those guys can get back on the floor, um, the Nuggets will be right there in the mix. And, you know, we'll see how the season plays out. And if they need to make any moves, it'll either be in the offseason or, you know, they'll have ammo for the trade deadline to really go for it next year. And we know we love Tim Conley in the draft. We know he knows how to find guys. So uh, I've, I, do have, I have one uh, recommendation. So Nuggets Nation, when you go to games, bring a sign. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it, I think it uh, just gives a little bit more passion, a little bit more flavor to our, our fan experience. And uh, 
I think the players appreciate it. And, and more importantly, I think other fans also appreciate that kind of, that kind of energy. And, and hopefully we can kind of turn this culture around to some extent and, and improve the uh, morale and passion that we as fans bring to these games along with the players and their pursuits to get closer to a championship. So also, just to tie off the back of that, if you want to ask your buddy who, you know, has a Celtics jersey on to just wait for you outside, that is also a good way to boost player morale and energy <laughs> in the arena. Please do. Please do. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, we will wrap there. As always, this has been Four Corners. I'm Ray. Um, for Damon and Peter, we are signing off. As always, go Nuggets. Go Nuggets.